0: Welcome to the Joe Catholic Podcast. I'm your host, Don Gonzalez. Joe Catholic is a lay apostolate formed in the fall of 2004 and then revamped to its current structure in the spring of 2009. According to the Second Vatican Council, the function of the apostolate is to influence the temporal order and cultural milieu into conformity with Christian ideals. It's in that light that our mission is to help equip everyday ordinary people with the tools to evangelize and answer the universal call to holiness. We hope that this podcast helps do that and encourages you to pursue a deeper understanding of our rich Catholic faith. All right, so uh, with the time I have left, I will uh, venture to uh, share with you this uh, notion that the image and the apparition of Our Lady of Guadalupe is a mini Mariology course. Um, this was my final paper that I wrote. I'm not going to read you the paper uh, that I wrote for my Mariology class that uh, I think was kind of a gift. You know, I wasn't a no, In fact, Mark didn't take this class because he graduated on time. Um, and but because I had to wait, Uh, I got the opportunity to take this class, and it was actually, it was a blessing. It opened my eyes uh, to our Blessed Mother in a way that I couldn't think possible. Uh, It has deepened my relationship with her. So um, I'm compelled to want to share some of the things that I learned with you, because I think it's important. I think we underestimate the relationship that we should have with our mother. Now, some of you may have a great relationship with her. I I kind of felt like mine was just kind of mediocre. Uh, And so uh, this course has helped me take it to the next level and really appreciate it. So the premise of of this talk is that the apparition of Mary um, as Our Lady of Guadalupe in Mexico in the 1500s exemplifies her role in salvation history and demonstrates all of her unique privileges that the Lord bestowed upon her. And I'm going to break that down into three ways. One, the actual appearance itself, and talk a little bit about how that demonstrates some of those parts of that. Secondly, I'm going to talk about the miraculous image on the tilma as well. And and this is an exact image. By the way, uh, there's actually one that's even bigger than this that would have taken up probably a third of the wall that the Sacred Heart had. And They told me that this image is actually a photo-scanning of the real Thielma uh, that they were allowed to do back in the 1980s while uh, Pope John Paul II was still Pope and um, allowed them to do that. And so that's why you see the there's a a line that runs through it. I think that's a result of the the fire that took place. So anyway, so that's the second one, the, the actual image. And third, the spoken message that she gave to Juan Diego. I got an opportunity to read uh, what is believed to be the first narrative uh, written about the apparition. It was written in the 1500s, probably 10 years after the apparition itself uh, by an actual um, native of the area. And interestingly enough, the uh, the oldest known copy of it was just kind of found hidden uh, in a New York library. So that's just a little tidbit. All right, so here are the, the many roles and titles that I intend to demonstrate uh, exist in this apparition. One, her divine maternity, in other words, mother of God, her immaculate conception, her perpetual virginity, her spiritual maternity, meaning she's our mother as well, the co-redemptrix, co-mediatrix, meaning that she's the mediator of all graces. And her glorious assumption, as well as her divine queenship, meaning Mary Queen of Heaven. All right. So let's start off with a little bit of the chronology of events, just to kind of contextualize things—the where, when, and how of the apparition. So she appeared at Juan Diego first. So it was a series of appearances between December 9th all the way through December the twelfth, in fifteen thirty-one. All right. And I did some research, and it does turn out that this is uh, probably the earliest documented apparition um, um, that's uh, recognized by the church. So um, when Mary appeared to Juan Diego, she appeared on a hill, and I, I it's not important the name of the hill. I started to share that with you, but then you start getting into the Aztec language, and I didn't want to mess with that. Uh, she appeared on a hill that was associated with the Aztec mother goddess, okay? That's important. Um, We believe that Mary did this in order to demonstrate that she's the true universal mother, that that, that's one of the reasons why she appeared on that particular hill, you know, to kind of uh, squash or quash um, this notion of goddesses. Uh, And in fact, today, this is where the Basilica of Our Lady of Guadalupe stands. All right. When she appeared in Juan Diego, she appeared as a woman clothed in light, and this should re- this reminds us of a couple of things. It reminds us of her purity. It reminds us of one who shines with all the graces of the Lord of our Lord, which should remind us of the Immaculate Conception, Mary, full of grace. Um, so it seems clear from just the way she appeared. That she's uh, passing on this message that she is the immaculate conception as we later on when we um, uh, take a look at the actual message that she gave to juan diego it becomes more clear so uh, during the time frame okay, during the time frame that this took place um, it's right after the conquest by the conquistadores of. Uh, Cortez, and the like, in this region. So for those of you that may be history buffs, uh, may remember that this was a a time of tremendous human sacrifice. The Aztecs were brutal people. Um, The Aztec religion consisted of human sacrifices. It consisted of cannibalism. Um, One of the interesting things that I uncovered as a result of the research for this paper is that uh, the nobles, the kind of the, I guess, for lack of a better term, kind of the, uh, the Aztec priests who were involved in the sacrifices would eat. The, they particularly liked the thighs of the, of the sacrificed people, and they would dip the meat in a concoction made up of tomatoes and peppers sounds a lot like salsa to me. I can't make this stuff up. It comes straight out of the original narrative. So I thought that was just so interesting to me I had to share it with you. Um, If you've ever been to Mexico to see any of the ruins, you will know whether you go to Mexico to Chinichitlan, where the Mexico City, or when you go outside of Mexico City to Cuernavaca, or near Cuernavaca, where there are the ruins of Teotihuacan which is where the big sun and moon pyramids are located, the sun god for this region was a serpent god. And when we think of serpent, what do we think of? Satan. Satan. You should immediately think about um, Genesis 3.15, you know, and I will create enmity between you and the woman, and she will crush your head. Um. There are a lot of images of Mary, particularly those of the Immaculate Conception, in which you see her with her foot crushing the head of the serpent. And in fact, the crescent moon that appears below her feet in the image is an image that is also associated with the serpent god. So in a way, symbolically, you see her with her foot on top of the serpent god in this image as well. So, a couple of things that happened. Now, the, the Aztec people were not prepared at all to convert to Christianity. You know, the, their religion was so far removed from Christianity, number one. And then number two, when the conquistadors came in, they treated them so brutally that and it was scandalous. You know, why would they want to convert to Christianity? Uh, so... Um, they were culturally unprepared for Christianity. But after the uh, apparition of Our Lady of Guadalupe, any sacrifices or anything like that came to an end. Uh, And so, as I said before, we should recall, so the serpent god was crushed, just like we see in Genesis 3.15. And what followed after the next 10 years were unprecedented conversions. Even to this day, The Mexican population at this time was about 20 million. Half of the entire population of Mexico converted to Catholicism. Half. 10 million people in 10 years. That's incredible. So this is another demonstration. This is a demonstration of one, one battle in the larger war between Satan and the church. And Mary plays a huge role through her intercession. This should remind us of the, what I call the other bookend of Mary is Revelation 12. All right. So Revelation 12 says, it's at the very beginning of Revelation 12. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars and she was with child moon under her feet crowned with stars sun behind her wow so let's talk about the miracle of the Telemah itself I assume everybody's familiar with the story no. seriously? No. okay so the reader's digest version of the story so uh, mary appears to juan diego as he's on his walk to go to mass and uh, she says i want you to go to the local bishop and tell him i want the church built here and so uh he immediately recognizes her as our lady and and acquiesces and goes to the bishop and the bishop says uh, essentially uh, I need an, I need more information I need another sign so then he goes so the next so he goes mass next day he's walking and she uh, appears to him again uh, and says go back and tell him I've, I've shared this information with you uh, in the course of walking to go see the bishop actually before he could go see the bishop his uncle who he's living with at the time Juan Diego was about 50 when she appeared to him uh, his uncle who was older than he was sick and was dying and so um, in kind of a funny way, uh, Juan Diego decides I'm not going to go walk, just take the same path. I'm going to go around the hill because I don't want to. I don't want to see Mary and have to disappoint her. And she appears to him again. Uh, and I'm going to share a little bit about what she said specifically to him. And um, so she tells him again. He goes see the bishop. Um, he runs into a little bit of trouble about even getting in to see the bishop. Um, And essentially the bishop again says, look, I I need a little bit harder evidence that this is really going on. So she visits him a third time. And she uh, next to her are uh, a bunch of flowers, including roses, that generally didn't grow in that area during that particular time of the year. And so he gathers them up. A tilma is kind of like an apron made out of uh, cactus fiber. And he carries them together and he goes to the bishop. And so the flowers themselves is a a miracle, okay? There there shouldn't have been any sort of of these type of flowers. And so he goes to take the flowers to the bishop, and he drops the flowers down, and on his apron is this image of Our Lady. And then immediately the bishop falls to his knees, and he recognizes that this is legit. Uh, So that's... Yeah, and so this happened in the 1500s, and... One of the things that I was going to say, oh, it's, it's fitting that we talk about this now, is that um, it was made out of cactus. And I, I want to say that it's the agave plant that they used the fibers from it to make these uh, the, the, the clothing, this type, particular type of uh, apron or cuba. And it should have deteriorated years ago. They've done a number of experiments in uh, making uh, clothing out of the same material and it didn't last very long at all. Uh, They've done all sorts of experiments over the years to see if it was painted. There's no way that you can paint with the clarity that this image is on that sort of coarse material. Uh, They've done some other research now, some microscopic research. If you look into the eyes, they've gone into the eyes and you actually see the image of the bishop and the court in her eyes. There's no way anybody could have painted that. Uh, so the, the the details of it. So um, so we discover some signs of her divine maternity. I mean, we've already alluded to the the light behind her. Uh, reading Revelation twelve, the moon and the stars that cloak her head. Um, this the sash, the little black sash, is a demonstration. If you can actually look closely, you can see that she's got what we call it these days, the baby bone. okay? That she's pregnant, uh, and that's demonstration of her uh, divine maternity. Um, also, in reference to Revelation 12, that's uh, generally uh, the scripture that we view as the Mary Queen of Heaven. It's associated with Revelation 12, which is also associated with her glorious assumption that um, you know, that her body and soul are both in heaven. Um, as I shared with you earlier the crescent moon is is also demonstrated in almost all the images of Mary uh, as it relates to her immaculate conception but it also has a tie-in to the serpent god that's there too so it's got a double meaning which often takes place uh, in scripture when there are are, uh, prophecies and whatnot that there are are multiple layers of of meaning Uh, the other thing is that, uh, if you notice, she, she appears in a humble position. She's looking downward. She's not looking straight ahead. So um, theologians say that part of the reason for this is it's to demonstrate that she, it's a posture of humility, that she comes not as a goddess, but as a messenger. Okay, And what's another term for messenger but mediator? So this ties into the notion of her being the co-mediatrix of our Lord, that she brings his message, she brings his graces. And why is that so because she brings the Lord who is grace personified so you know so that's an easy way for us to think about that now she appears uh, with the skin color of somebody from that region during that time Uh, she's got dark hair and dark eyes she looks like the the Indians and the mestizos of that region Um, I think and if you look throughout history when she's appeared she's appeared as the people appear in that region, right? And I think that's purposeful to demonstrate her universal maternity, that she belongs to all the people, okay? Not just to the people of Mexico, or not just to the people of Japan, or uh, to France, or wherever she's appeared, that she belongs to everyone. You know that as Our Lady of Guadalupe, she's the patroness of the Americas, and she's also a patroness of the unborn. I think that we can draw a clear parallel but the human sacrifices that were taking place at that time and the human sacrifices that are taking place in our own culture today with the abortion industry. Okay, so she's a great intercessor for the unborn. All right, so we only have a few minutes left. Let's talk about the message. These are taken from the account of the things that she said to Juan Diego. When she introduced herself, she introduced herself as the Arab Virgin mother of god and the church teaches uh, about her virginity that she was a virgin before the birth of christ before the pregnancy during the birth of christ okay that she remained intact after he was born and uh well during the pregnancy and then afterwards as well that she was uh, so that doesn't mean just that she didn't have any other children It also means that she remained a virgin uh, throughout the birth Uh, meaning that she was not not corrupted physically. Uh, Here's a quote uh, from her uh, message to Juan Diego. I know for certain, my son, the smallest one, that I am the perfect and ever virgin, holy Mary, mother of the true God, through whom everything lives, the creator of mankind, the Lord of what is near and beyond, the Lord of heaven and earth. Of course, she's talking about Jesus there. Then she goes on to tell Juan Diego that she will intercede for all of her children. Uh, and again, this demonstrates her universal uh, maternity, but also demonstrates her, her role as an intercessor. You should think of uh, the second or third chapter of John at the wedding at Canaan when she intercedes for the uh, wedding party. The wedding party is representative of us right? You know, that she sees, she perfectly sees the needs of the people and takes them to her son. Okay? And he never says no to her when she brings a need. Now, she's not going to bring a need that is bad, right? She's going to bring a good to him. And this is what she said to uh, Juan Diego. And when I read this for the first time, it, it gave me so much comfort. She said, Because I am truly your merciful mother, yours and mother of all who live united in this land, and of all the other peoples of different ancestries, of all those who love me, of those who cry to me, of those who search for me, of those who have confidence in me, there I will listen to their cry, to their sadness, so as to curb all their different pains their miseries and sorrow to remedy and alleviate their suffering and how does she remedy and alleviate their sufferings by taking them to her son so in doing that she's uh, implying um, two things one her role as the co-redemptrix that we talked about at our last session calling to mind her role as the co-mediatrix and I want to close with one final quote from her uh, apparition. This is what she says. There is nothing for you to fear, nothing to afflict you. Let neither your face nor your heart be worried. Do not fear this nor any other illness. She's talking about the uncle's illness. Nor anything pounding nor afflicting. Am I not here? I who am your mother. Are you not in my shadow under my protection am I not your fountain of life are you not in the fold of my mantle in my crossed arms is there anything else you need so you know when we were little and we were hurting or who we ran to you you ran to mom so run to our Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you liked what you heard, please like us on your preferred podcast listening platform. Also, please consider financially supporting our podcast by making a monthly contribution of $0.99, cents, $4.99, or $9.99 you can do so by clicking the purple button at anchor.fm slash joecatholic. If you would like to see show notes or learn more about the Joe Catholic Apostolate, please go to our website, thejoecatholic.org. Thanks again for listening to the Joe Catholic Podcast.